Good evening and welcome back to Crime Therapy True Crimes Podcast. I am, of course, your host, Elaine. I'm hoping the last week found you safe and healthy. And as with all my podcasts, this one, of course, has a disclaimer. If you are a sensitive person with words, this podcast story is so not for you. We cover in grim details the murder of an Ohio woman this evening. The story was suggested to me by many of my friends in Northeast Ohio after I put the call out for true crime stories that would fit well with this podcast on Facebook. Speaking of, you can find me at Crime Therapy's True Crime Stories on Facebook and on our new YouTube channel. Also, if you want, you can send me an email at crimetherapystories at gmail.com and I will answer you. Before we start, I sincerely want to send heartfelt thoughts and prayers to Tammy's family and friends. I cannot imagine the sense of loss that all of you felt and still feel to this day. This crime takes place primarily in Vienna Center, Ohio. And I say primarily because, well, I don't want to give too much away, but you will obviously find out what I mean later in the podcast. Tammy Engstrom was a 22-year-old wife and mother. She was married to Andy and had one-year-old son. She was well-known in the area, coming from a large family that lived and worked around the upper northeastern state of Ohio. She was a mother, wife, sister, family member, and friend to many people. On February 7, 1991, this all changed. All these lives and Tammy herself were impacted by what happened. Around 5.30 p.m. on that date, Tammy dropped her son off with a close friend who was babysitting so she could go to work. She worked at the Clover Bar. She reported to work in around 6.30 and left work at approximately 9.30 p.m. stating that she didn't feel too well. She had planned on going home and if she did, maybe things would be different today. But she drove to the Nickelodeon Lounge in Maysbury, Ohio. Here, she met with her uncle, Dan Hyrer. About an hour and a half after she arrived at the Nickelodeon Lounge, Kenneth Burroughs walked in after participating in a drinking event held by the Nickelodeon and several other bars in the area. We like to call this a bar crawl in Cleveland. He joined Tammy and Daniel, and Kenneth was not really a friend of Daniel, more like an acquaintance. Tammy had never met Kenneth before, but since he knew her uncle, there was somewhat of an implied trust that honestly never should have been there. By midnight, Tammy had passed out due to drinking or being ill. We still don't know to this day. She later fell out of her chair and onto the floor, and her uncle and Kenneth assisted her back to her seat. The three of them continued to have a conversation and drinks until about 1 a.m. when Tammy let it be known that she wanted to go home. With her being intoxicated, her uncle Daniel refused to let her drive. Viros offered to get her a cup of coffee and they left together. Why the bar didn't offer coffee, I don't know. Maybe this is part of Kenneth's plan. But I've been in many bars, and a lot of them, if not all, have a cup of coffee on just to help people sober up. That simple cup of joe may have saved Tammy what would have soon occur. Walking out, 
Daniel noticed that the two had left, so he went back inside the lounge until the bar closed. Now around 11.30, Tammy's husband Andy went to meet her at the Clover Bar, where she should have been working. Her husband had bought her a gift and wanted to surprise her, but she obviously was not there. So he stayed for a little bit, and around 1.10 a.m., Andy called Tammy's sister, Deborah Barr, who suggested that Tammy may have gone to the Nickelodeon. Well, Andy drove back home, only to discover that Tammy was not there. He checked in with the babysitter, asking her to watch their son for a while longer, as she tried to locate his wife. My first thought was, well, why didn't she text him or call her husband to let her know where she was? Time check, it was 1991. While cell phones were available, they really did not gain popularity until the mid-90s to early 2000s. Excuse me for a moment while I mourn my youth. So Andy phoned the Nickelodeon lounge and was told that Tammy and Daniel had already left. So. Andy waited patiently at home for his wife, knowing and thinking that she would be home soon. The next morning, he knew something was really wrong. When Tammy had still not returned, he began looking for her. He and a friend had t- found her car at the Nickelodeon Lounge and drove the vehicle back to his house. He was told that Beros was supposed to have driven Tammy home earlier that morning, so Andy, he went to visit Beros at the home where him and Beros's mother shared to find out exactly what happened to his wife. Kenneth told him that, well, obviously Tammy was not there. But a few things struck Andy as odd. Beros had a cut above his eye and all over his hands. Andy asked about the cuts as his suspicion with the man rose in his gut. Kenneth explained that he had been locked out of his house and he had to break a window to enter. This would be known as lie number one. When cornered about Tammy, Kenneth stated that he was driving her to get a cup of coffee, but she had fallen asleep. When she woke up, she panicked and ran away from the car. Barrows further stated that she was very drunk and didn't know where she was going. She she ran away from the car and Kenneth She'd not seen her since. This was lie number two. After the information that Kenneth provided Andy, Andy now knew that something was was terribly wrong. Without any further hesitation, Andy went straight to the police to inform them of his missing wife and what information Beros told him. Tammy's family began searching with Andy to try and locate his wife. Vienna Center is very close to Pennsylvania. The Nickelodeon Lounge is actually located in Sharon, PA. It's close to the border of Ohio, and myself, I grew up near Slippery Rock and Butler, so I'm kind of familiar with the area. It is right on the border. So I use that as a point of reference because there will be many points of reference in this story. Unfortunately, through the search, the family did not find any clues as to Tammy's disappearance. Buros was the glue that bonded the story together on what happened to Tammy. During his time back at Kenneth's mother's home, Kenneth's mother found a ring in the bathroom. It was a cluster diamond ring. 
And when confronting Kenneth, he stated that he absolutely had no idea how the ring got there. Lie number three. Later, it would be found hidden in the ceiling of his bedroom. On Saturday, Kenneth was brought in for questioning in the disappearance of Tammy Engstrom. A joint effort of investigators from Ohio and Pennsylvania would be present for that initial police interview with him. And in the interview, Bureau submitted to Captain John Cleric of the Sharon PA Police Department that he actually knew Tammy was dead. As the questioning went on, Bureau's began to panic and offered several explanations as to what happened with Tammy. At this point, why not tell the damn truth? You already told the police that you knew she was no longer with us. You know you're caught. Just tell the truth. It may not set you free in some sense of the word, but it'll provide knowledge to Tammy's family on what happened to this dear wife and mother. He is the definition of a true scumbag. In one story, Beros has said that Tammy had been run over by a car. In another version, Tammy had jumped from his car while he was driving. Lies number four and five. And after a long time of questioning, Kenneth Beros finally admitted to killing Tammy. Beros stated he had driven a very drunk Tammy from the lounge to his house on King's Grave Road in Vienna Center. He stated that he was driving next to some railroad tracks not far away from his house and he touched her leg and Tammy woke up to defend herself. She jumped from his car and he hit her with the car. When she fell from Kenneth hitting her with the car, she hit her head on a train rail. A medical examiner would later say that this is, this is not true. We are up to line number six now. Once she had died, he went the short distance to his home that he shared with his mother. He, he honestly, at this point, sounds like the type that would live in mommy's basement, doesn't he? Once home, he cleaned himself up and went back to her body. He moved her body into the small shed at the back of the house, and here's where it gets disturbing. Don't get me wrong, all of this is disturbing, but this part, this is the part I warned you about in the beginning of the podcast. Beros had removed every single organ in her body and then dismembered her. He further told police that he drove around Northeast Ohio and Pennsylvania and scattered her organs and dismembered body in several places. This man is a demon in the flesh. Through search warrants, Bureau's clothing was found with Tammy's blood on it and several knives were recovered from his home. DNA testing did conclude that Tammy's DNA was on both the clothing and the knives. That Sunday, February 10th, 1991, investigators located the first site of Tammy's remains with his instructions on where to locate her. Pennsylvania and Ohio authorities discovered several of Tammy's body parts in desolate wooded area of Butler County. They also found other portions of her body in a wooded area in Venango County. Tammy's head and right breast had been severed from her torso. Her right leg had been amputated just above the knee. The body was completely naked except for what appeared to be scraps of black leg stockings that had been rolled down to her feet. The torso had been opened with the cavity. Just, just, just 
just emptied the abdominal cavity. I, I just I just can't imagine the evil that some people do. Their sexual organs were removed and they were never located by police. Dr. William Cox, the Summit County, Ohio coroner, stated that Beros had severely beaten Engstrom, hitting her 91 times. He also found defensive wounds on her hands and arms, which meant the woman fought for her life. Kenneth also stabbed her postmortem five times with a large pocket knife before he sexually mutilated her body. This guy, I honestly hope he's rotting in hell right now. Investigators searched the area where Barrows told him the crime had occurred. They located blood, organs, and other physical matter, including some intestines. They also found some of her belongings, including clothes, in a shallow grave near the train station. A search of his truck found blood of Tammy and a piece of her liver. During the trial, he told people that he had killed Tammy and he buried her in a shallow grave near the train tracks by his property. When he tried to fit her in the shallow hole that he dug, she would not fit. So this is the reasoning on why he dismembered her and put her in the shallow grave. After receiving many threats from her family members during the initial searches, he exhumed her body from the grave and drove over the state line to Pennsylvania to dispose of her remains in several locations. Kenneth Beros was found guilty of aggravated murder, felonious sexual penetration, aggravated robbery, and attempted rape. On October 29, 1991, the court sentenced him to death by legal injection which in my opinion is the only correct thing to do. This is one of those cases where I'm happy to report he did get executed. He was put to death by lethal injection at the Southern Ohio Correctional Facility on October 29th, 2009. He was the first execution in Ohio that used lethal injection with one single drug called Penethol. There's more to this story, and I don't know what you particularly believe about the afterlife, but it's rumored that the house on King's Grave Road, where Tammy was brutally murdered, is haunted by her ghost. I have a different opinion on that. This is a part of the reason why Burroughs' mother moved out of the house. The spirit would not leave her alone, terrorizing her until the day she left the house. The house is boarded up, but the haunting even persisted after the house had caught fire and completely collapsed in 1995. I personally believe that Tammy is very happy in the afterlife, not stuck down here, trapped in the location where she was brutally murdered. That does not make sense to me. I tend to believe the house was haunted by a dark spirit that once inhabited her killer, Kenneth Barrows. I honestly prefer that version. You know, let me know what you think. Okay? I do thank you for listening to Episode 3 of Crime Therapy True Crime Stories. You can find us on Facebook and YouTube. And also, feel free to shoot me an email at crimetherapystories at gmail.com if you have any crime that you want me to cover or be a co-host for an episode. Let me know. Until our next podcast, 
stay safe.